gave a message at a, the Calvary Chapel, um, Sarasota, had a, a, a couple's dinner the other night, and um, this is kind of going off of that. There will be elements where it is talking about marriage. Um, I know not everybody in the room is married, um, but I think that the love verses actually relate to everybody. And so some of it will be skewed towards couples and marriage. Um, but overall, when the Bible is talking about love and referring to love, it, it actually was, is, is talking to all of us and our relationships to everybody. Um, the first thing I, I got is we had a, my sister-in-law had um, emailed me. There was a, um, a devotion that went out. Some of you guys might have received it. It's, it's from Lifeway Christian Stores. And it talks about the love lies, the lies that people believe about love and about marriage. And um, it said here, the topic, the title, it says, see if you recognize some of these popular marriage scams, okay? Marriage is easy when you find the one, you know? Um, conflict is a sign of a troubled relationship. Everybody ever had conflict within your marriage? <laughs> I don't know what they're talking of, of course, you know, but I mean, everybody else might know. Romance and passion will always be alive in a good marriage. I mean, there's always romance and passion, right, within your marriage? I mean, it's, it's, it's always there. Uh, your spouse should automatically know what you need, and marriage is about being happy. I mean, because we're always happy within our marriage, correct? Um, spouses will naturally grow closer as time goes by. Um, love is self-sustaining. There's a oneness is about losing your identity, and differences are the problem in most marriages. And actually, differences are what actually draws you together. You know, if you think about it, if and, and on, a, on a magnet, it's the positive and the negative that bring each other together. If it's two positives or two negatives, they just they repel each other. You know, and obviously, those are unrealistic expectations within a marriage, or unrealistic expectations in any, any kind of relationship. Um, but as we as we look at that, and and, and um, as if, if you've been married for any time or if you're in a relationship or maybe you're single and you want to be married at some point and you're like, well, those are all my dreams that I hope that I have within, man, we're going to always just love each other and it's just going to be, it's going to be incredible and it's going to be awesome. And there are elements that are just like that. But then unfortunately the flesh wells up with inside of you and, and you're a sinner and she's a sinner or he's a sinner and the two of you come together and it's two sinners. And actually the miracle of marriage is that actually two sinners come together and it works. I mean, that's, that's the actual miracle that any of this happens. And so and for me in my own life, you know, we, it came to a point one time where I walked into the room. We, had, we have three children, as you guys know. And Jonathan was about two or three and Ashton was a baby. And I came in one night and, 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 and Christine is just, is just crying, you know. And guys ever experienced that before? Am I the only one? No. So, yeah, just, just crying, you know. And, um, and so she's just talking, and she's like, you know, I just feel like you don't pursue me anymore. You're not, you don't pursue me anymore. And so I, I'm a guy. I, I don't know what she's talking about. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, it, this is, I, I do all these things. I just got home from work. I'm working and, and everything. And, and it's something, though, that, that stuck with me because the truth of the matter was is that I, I had stopped pursuing her. You know, because again, I, if I look back and I look back to our dating days and, and this is the same woman that we would talk on the phone until nine or nine thirty at night. And and some of you from Fort Lauderdale know that everything is so scattered so far apart that, you know, um, it would take about 20 minutes to get to her house. Well, I would get off the phone and I would drive 
And I would hit a grocery store, a Winn-Dixie. Anybody remember Winn-Dixie? And I would hit a Winn-Dixie and get flowers, and I would bring them to her door, and I would hand them to her. And then I would just, just so we can see her face one more time and say hi to her. And big smile on her face, and of course, you know, making all kinds of points. And then I would drive home. This is the same woman that as, as when we first started dating, she was studying to get her master's. Um, she's a whole lot smarter than I am. So she's starting to get her master's and she was working full time at a school. And, um, and so with our dates, a lot of our dates were just going to the library to study, you know, and I wouldn't study and I wouldn't do anything, but just sitting there, you know, because my family knows I don't read a whole lot. I don't like to read. And, and so what do you do at a library? You know, you're like, what am I doing here? You know, this is, but Christine was there. And if I wanted to be with Christine, that's, that's where I needed to be. Um, she was the head of the senior class, and so we had to do the, 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 the seniors went to Walt Disney World, and so they needed a driver. And so she asked me if I would be the driver. So I drove them up there, went to a hotel for two hours and slept, and then came back to pick them up and then to drive them back home afterwards because that's where Christine was. And so that's, that's the me of pursuing my wife because I just wanted to be around Christine. And then we become married, and, um, well, that person's there all the time, and I don't have to pursue her. And so then we're married, and she says, hey, can you go take the garbage out? And I'm like, the game is on. I mean, why, why would anybody ask to take the garbage out while the game is on? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's just in the other room. But the same woman that I would drive 20 minutes just to deliver flowers to drive back home I won't walk in the next room to take the garbage out, you know. I mean, thankfully we have children now that can take care of that, but it's, you know. So there are fruits of being married, you know. You don't have to do the work anymore and all that other stuff, but you're like, wow. So, see, it didn't start that way. It didn't start to the point of, you know, that I, that I, I would pursue her and I was chasing after her. And if you open up to Genesis chapter 29... And we're going to start in verse 13, and I'll give you the background. It's Jacob. And if anybody you guys have known, do you know who Jacob is? Kind of Old Testament people. Um, Jacob is a wonderful, well, not a wonderful story. He's, he's a complicated person within the Bible. And, and Jacob has gone on, and, and he's, he's kind of a conniver. And at this point where we meet up with Jacob, Jacob, um, a guy that, that the Bible says is a friend of God. Okay, This friend of God just got done ripping off his brother for the birthright that he stole because he was the second born. He ripped his brother off, got the birthright, and, and this friend of God is now, um, is that, now he's scared he's going to die. His brother's going to kill him because you don't steal somebody's birthright. I mean, you're, you're getting the stuff at that point. You know, His dad's not dead, but at some point he's going to die, and man, you, just, you took it from me. You know? And his mother helped connive the whole thing. And, and so now she comes to her, you know, his dad and says, hey, look, we should probably send him off so that he doesn't marry somebody from here. We'll send him back to the homeland, you know, and, and my, my brother Laban's back in the homeland and we can send him there and, and he can find a good wife, you know, somebody from our people and they can get married there. And basically she doesn't care about that. She just wants to save his life. And so she's nervous and she wants to get her son out of town that she helped to, to, to create the problem that they're in. So we pick it up there and we move into verse 13 and it says, Then it came to pass, and, and, and Jacob has already traveled, he's already you know, introduced himself to, to his um, future bride, and says, Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things that had happened. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative... 
Uh, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? And now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder daughter was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. And now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, for your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years. You guys hear this, single guys? He served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because, he, because of the love that he had for her. Now, seven years, that's a, that's a courtship right there, seven years. Now, do you think that what was holding him on the entire time was the fact of he just wanted to have, a, a, have relations with her or something like that? Or do you think that there was something that was deeper probably inside of him? For seven years, I mean, there's a desire that's inside of you. At some point, you're, you're pursuing her, and he's chasing after her. And do you think that at some point also that, that Rachel probably saw the sacrifice that this man was putting forth her future husband for her? And do you see the, the work that he was willing to do to work with her dad. And, and by this point, she probably knows her dad's probably the, not the easiest kind of guy to get along with. And if you were to continue to read the next chapter or so, you would really find out the conflict. Okay, these two men are, are the, the connivers of connivers. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they are just, they're going to lock horns here soon, you know, over the next few years. And, and they've really met their match between the two of them. They, mean, they really just refine each other and they are just those kind of guys. But as he continues to work and he sacrifices... And his soon-to-be wife sees the commitment that he is making forth. I mean, that to me, and the Lord gave me the verse, is just saying that that, it's, that that is a pursuit right there. And as I looked at my own life and I looked at my, my, my life with my wife, it, it, there's many times that the Lord has just convicted me and, and, and brought this to light that, Kevin, where, where, where is that same love that you had for your wife before? Now, I have it, but as we went back to the devotions at the beginning, you know, there's the stuff of life that happens. And maybe that, sh- that shine kind of dulls a little bit. You know, because again, as, as I mentioned before, the flesh starts to come out. And the sinner with inside Kevin comes out. And this is not just one-sided. It's not just the man. And obviously, the woman is a sinner too. And, and, um, and you know, it is the, the woman that you gave me is what Adam said, you know. So any problems that we have kind of came, came from her, you know. And so it's a point of... I'll let that sink in. So it's... Um, <laughs> I said it. None of you guys, I'll get in trouble for Valentine's Day. But So it's a point of, it's, yes, she's a sinner too. And, and, and there's the stuff of life that goes on in her own mind. And as, as she comes home and she has, she has different needs and she has different wants and different emotional reactions. And, and as Gordon and I used to have been here this morning, there's this quiet place that guys just go to in our minds. You know, it's just a quiet place. What are you thinking about? Nothing. You know, we just, we're not thinking about anything. Well, women don't have that place. And so emotionally they're, they're engaged and emotionally there's, there's things that are going on and there's needs that need to be met. And that's kind of where some of the conflict happens. And so, for, so as you go on, and we won't continue for, the time, for time's sake, is Laban ends up tricking him and giving him his other daughter and he doesn't realize that and, and he lays with her and so now the marriage is, is consummated and so then he has to wait seven days and he can marry the other one, but then he has to then work again seven more years until the due is paid for his other bride that he wanted. He worked 14 years for his wife. I mean, that is commitment. That is, that is somebody who is pursuing her. 
And so as I look at marriage and I look at everything that's going on in the world and um, I look at our lives and, and it's not just the fact that if you're a pastor, you're somebody in ministry, is as we look around in the world and we look at our friends and our family, there's so many people that we know right now that are having marriage struggles. There are people that are, that are having a difficulty within their marriage and it's not somebody who's just just been newlywed married and they're having struggles because all of a sudden all the glitter has come off of what marriage is really going to be like, you know, and you wake up the next morning and she doesn't have makeup on and, you know, and all of a sudden you stink and all that. I mean, it's just the, the, the excitement has worn off. And then maybe after 10 years, the, the, the lackluster has worn off. Or maybe it's 30, 40 years and the kids are out of the house and all of a sudden you're stuck with this person that you have, don't even know anymore because you've had kids for the last 30 years. You don't even remember each other anymore. Well, what do you do at that point? Well, first thing that you do is you turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the love chapter. As many of you know, and um, we'll start in verse 4, and it says, Love suffers long. And, and as we go over each of these, these things, and I won't, I, this is not an in-depth Bible study. Um, I was just listening to John MacArthur the other day, and I think he took a week or two on each of these verses, so... Um, I don't think you guys have that much time today for me to do that. So we're going to kind of breeze over some of these things. You guys are going to kind of get the drift of where we're going. So start, love suffers long. Well, what does that mean? Love, love suffers long means that it's, it's, you're slow to anger. And you're not quick with those who offend us. Have you ever been offended by your wife or your husband? Have you ever kind of like just snapped off a little bit? Well, love is kind. Love is, love is a kind that means to extending good to others. And again, back in those dating days, man, my, Christine needed something. I'm driving all night. You know, I also did a lock-in. I stayed up all night for these kids that, whatever, why am I here, you know, with these kids? But, but Christine was there. I'm, love is kind. I'm willing to do whatever is called because, because again, it's, it's, I'm pursuing her. Well, then after you, you, you gain that, well, then, you know, I'm just tired. I don't, I don't want to be kind today. Love is not envious. It's not jealous. It's not intolerant of. And, it doesn't, and it's, it's kind of hard to imagine that within a marriage relationship or within some other relationship that you would be jealous of somebody that you, that you care for, but maybe you're jealous of their time. Maybe you're jealous because, oh, he's at work so much and he's doing these things. And, or maybe she's jealous, be, or I'm jealous because, you know, she's doing these different things as far as ministry and, and other people. And man, that, that's supposed to be my time. Well, jealousy... It shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be jealous of her. It does not parade. It does not boast. It does not embellish on. It doesn't, it's, it's arrogant. It's to be a windbag. And, and so you can't have be inside of a, a relationship where you're just arrogant with inside of it and you're, you're boasting and you're overtaking it. Where everything is about you at that time and you just, you come, I completely envelop and, and cloud over anything that Christine has ever done. As I told you, I shouldn't do that because she's the smarter one of the two of us in our relationship. So you look at that and you're like, why, why, why does anybody want to do that? Why would you want to take over and, and encompass everything of that person that you love? Verse 5 says, it's, love's not rude. And, and, and kind of like the, the proper English here would be, and if you've got King James, I think it says, to act unbecoming. You know, if I said an English verse, it sounds in, in actually incredibly intelligent. It's to be unbecoming. And I, I don't know how in any relationship, if you love somebody, that you would be rude to that person, that you would pop off to that person. I mean, how does that work within a relationship? If you truly love that person, 
Why would you want to be rude and, and speak in a certain way to them? It does not seek its own. And, and as we became married and, and I gave up everything that I have for Christine and, and she gave up everything that she has for me and um, it does not seek my own. It means that, that for me, it, it means that I'm, I'm literally just taking my heart and I'm putting it on the altar and, and, and I'm walking away and I'm saying, it's Christine, it's yours. And she's done the same thing there. And so if, if I look at that, I, I can't seek my own because I, I have to completely look over everything that she does and, and make, wanting to make sure that she, whatever I can possibly do is for her. And as you look at your spouse or you look at the loved one in your life as, as, as doing the same thing for them as you reach out to them. That again, it's not about you and it's not about everything that you want to do. It's because I'm, I'm, I'm seeking the other person. It's not provoked. It's not irritated. It's not roused to anger. I'm not saying that you guys never have disagreements, okay, because that wouldn't be healthy because, again, you're not the same person, all right? But what I'm saying within that is that what, what becomes of anything when you yell and scream? I, I had a friend of mine that I, I convicted him one time. He was talking about his relationship with his wife and some things that he had said to her. And I looked at him and I said, would you have said that to me? But no, I would never have said that to you. Exactly. You know, one, you know, I wouldn't have taken it. But two, you have respect for me. You should have more respect for your wife. Don't ever speak to your wife like that. But again, there's a, there's a common ground where you just get so familiar with that person and, and, and the things that you're doing because I see them every day. They're not going anywhere, right? Because we've got a ring and, and, and we're just together and that's what's going to happen. And, and she's got nowhere else to go, so she's got to listen to me. And, and if I want to pop off and be mad and angry and, and throw an attitude, well tough. You're married. You can't go anywhere. Well, it's very selfish of you. And it thinks no evil. And it thinks no evil here is actually, it's an, it's an, it's a counting word. If you were to go back kind of the old, the scriptures and things, and it's, it's keeping an account of wrongs. So it's not just the fact that you think no evil. It's actually a little bit deeper than that. It's the fact that you're not keeping a ledger, you know, of debits and credits here, and you're not writing down, well, she said this to me today, man, I am not going to let that one go. And man, she burnt dinner. Oh my gosh. Who burns dinner? I mean, you have a timer, just go out there and and pull it out of the oven when you're supposed to. And you're not keeping a list and and you're not writing it down to make sure that you can, when you come to that next next fight that you have, that you, I'm pulling out my ledger and I'm ready. Let's have it. Let's go. Let's have it right now. Now there's no account of it. And I look at this scripturally and I look at the other side and, and any of you guys that has an account, you know, shame on you. Because the Bible says that he has forgiven us of our sins. So how can I then look at my wife and play God within my own house and say, oh no, the God of this house says you're not forgiven. Well, the Bible says that my sins have been cast as far as the east is to the west. And then when somebody wrongs me, then I should be able to wipe it off and move on and forgive them. Because again, and nothing else happens, and nothing else happens to that person, it just sits there and bitters with inside my heart and continues to rise and continues to plant a seed of just hatred and anger. And then at some point, again, here we are, and there's a volcano that happens and it pops out. Verse 6 says, You don't rejoice in inequity, rather, you rejoice with truth. And all these things, as you can see, love is not selfish. Love is not about you. 
And I think too many times as we go through life, things are just about us. And, it's, and in, you see that within Hollywood, if you want to pick on Hollywood, but I don't think you have to go to Hollywood. I think we can just sit here right in our own hearts and go, man, it is about me. It's all about me. I wake up in the morning, it's about me. I work all day, it's about me. I come home, my kids, they're about me. I mean, I don't have to look at anybody else. I don't have to look at anybody else's life and realize that when things are out of whack, it's my fault because I'm not loving properly. Verse 7, it's, I want to focus on, on, on this verse here a little bit. So it's the all things verse to, to me because love bears all things. All things, by the way. What's the definition of all? Anybody? Dylan? All, right? Definition of all is all. So it bears all things. And, and the, the bears all things here is kind of like a roof that provides protection. And, and, and so as you, you come together and you're, you've got the love, if there's some leaky parts that are in there, you're going to, you're going to fix those things so things don't kind of drip through. And, and so as, as the roof is going to take care of the protection inside, it's going to bear it, it's going to take the weight of everything, it's going to protect you from the outside, it's going to protect the, the, the secrets from inside the house as well. That you're not going to use those to, hey, you really need to pray for my husband. He's kind of struggling with this. No, that's a secret. He opened up his heart. He laid his heart there and he gave it to you. And the same thing men too. Oh, my wife, man, she is just a pain. She does. You know, the, again, if you go to the water cool, all these guys and all the ladies, you all hear this stuff. So it's not stuff that we don't know. And you're, you hear the, the gossiping of, oh, he's just doing this again. And he's doing that. Would you stop that? Because you need to bear up and take it. I wouldn't allow anybody to come within our house and do anything to my wife or my kids because I'm going to protect them and bear them. The same thing needs to happen with your hearts. The same thing needs to happen that you need to be the protector and you need to guard those things because that is our house. And that's my love. And as I pursue that person, I'm going to make sure that nothing comes in. It endures without divulging to the world its distress. It believes all things. And I'm not talking about that you're going to believe a lie, you know, that you're, that you're, we're not into believing, you know, in fairy tales and things like that. But I, but I will say this, and I said this the other night, you could come up to me and say, Christine said one thing, and Christine could come up to me and said she said the thing, and I'm going to trust whatever Christine says. Okay, I might love you, and, and I do love you guys, but, but I know her, and I know her heart. And anything that she says may not be the truth, but it's the truth from her perspective and what her understanding is. And, and so as you believe all things within this person, and it's not just the things that, you, that you, the person might say, but it's I'm going to believe all things of what the hopes and the desires of this person as well. That as they, they venture out into a new job and what they're trying to do, and, and you're backing them because you love them and you support I'm going to believe in this person to try to do these things, and I'm going to pray for this person, and I'm going to be behind this person and support them. It hopes all things. Ultimately, our hope is in Christ, obviously, but you, you hope and you have trust. And it's a confident hope in what is good of your spouse when others or even they have ceased to have hope anymore. Have any of you guys ever ceased to have hope? Just me this morning? I know personally in my life as there's been times where, man, I just... I was just tired. I just didn't see any, I don't see any way of how, how is this going to happen? How's God going to work through these things? And it's, and it's been my bride that's come alongside of me who has built me up and to know that, you know what, again, our hope is within God and our hope is within Christ. 
It's going to endure all things. It stands firm by holding one's ground. It bears bravely. To bear bravely. And it stuck with me there because I don't, I don't see many people today bearing bravely within their marriage. My sister-in-law, we were talking the other day, and she coined a phrase, and I love it, is it's a paper towel society now. You know, you just rip off the paper towel, you use it, and what do you do? Throw it away, you know? She was, <laughs> I was telling her, I said, the first time that um, Christine and I had met, she went to clean something in the kitchen, and she was like, Phew. you know, like ripped off like five or six paper towels at one time, and she went to clean. I was like, about to have a heart attack. I'm like, don't ever do that in my mom's house. So she will have a heart Don't do that. Because in our house, it was like you grabbed a towel and you wiped it up, you know, because paper towels cost money. You just don't do that, you know. And, and so right, being raised, I was like, you do. I was, I was like, I was stunned. I'm like, who, who in the world does that? You know, you just don't do that thing. You grab one off, you know, and, uh, and you use that. And if it's a really big one, you grab paper, you grab a towel, you know. And um, so I've kind of come to the dark side a little bit more. But at the time, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. But it was just shocking, you know, just things that you never think of. You know, as you get together, you're like, wow, that's, that'll never come up. What are you doing? <laughs> but a paper towel society is you just rip those things off and you throw them away. And in, in life right now, man, you, you get a girlfriend. She doesn't work out right. She's not whatever. You just throw her away to the side and get another one. If you're married, do the same thing. You know, friend, ah, oh, the friend ticked me off today. Not my friend anymore. Move on. You know, job, car, Lot, what, it doesn't matter. And when you live in that side of that, that life, it, you can't, there's nobody who's enduring anything anymore. It, 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 it's work. It's work to raise children. It's work to, to have a relationship and, and a marriage to be able to honor God. It, it takes work. It's not easy all the time. I mean, are there benefits to that? Are there, yeah, definitely. But it, it's hard. There's not a lot of people right now that are bearing bravely. Proverbs 10:12b says, "But love covers all sins." The New Living Translation says, "But love makes up for all offenses." NIV says, "But love covers all offenses." The, the love just comes in and, and it allows you to, to overlook the things that bother you. I have different relationships in my life that I've, I've chosen to where people have either offended me or, or done something wrong to where I could end that relationship. But I've chosen to forgive so that I could still have the relationship. I mean, ultimately, it's still up to us if whether we're going to allow that to stew inside of us and completely wipe off and not have that relationship anymore or I have the choice to forgive, one like I've been asked to and commanded from God, and still have a relationship. Well, I would choose to have the relationship instead. Somebody's wronged me. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've wronged other people in my life. But see, this is where true intimacy happens. And this is not just a physical showing of love, okay, because the physical part of it is unnaturally is going to happen within our marriage or within a, a different relationship. But, but God, Jacob's desire for Rachel was, was for seven years. And it ended up being 14 years. At some point, it wasn't just his physical desire for Rachel it was the fact that there was a deep love for her as well. And, and the fact that he was willing to, to do whatever he needed to do for that person. And you sit there and say, well, Kevin, that's great. And I know it's Valentine's Day, but I'm not married. And I'm sitting in this room and you're talking about married people and you're laughing about married stuff. But 
um, not married. Well, when's the last time that you guys pursued God in the same manner? When's the last time in, it, that you sat there and you, you opened up your Bible and you were ready to receive from the, the, the Lord something from Him? And you, you pursued Him and you chased Him. And you said, God, I, I, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. But see, well, no, I, I can't because I'm, I'm tired or I've got my own thing going on. Or, well, God didn't answer that prayer, so God doesn't answer prayers. And I don't believe in God because He didn't do this for me. And, and as we go over this, well, I don't ever see a point in the Bible where God didn't suffer long. I mean, if you look at it, Jesus died on a cross for us. He didn't come down here for us. He didn't have to have any kind of relationship with us. But he suffered long for us. And he wanted us. And he desired us. And he said, I will even go to the point where I will die on the cross so that I can continue to have fellowship with you. With us. And every one of us right now, as we've gone through those, realizes um, I have fallen short on most, if not all of these. And that's the people that I physically see and the people that I physically love that I've fallen short on those every day. The pastor's conference, it talked in, in, in Hebrews 2.1, uh, I think it was Pastor Joe Foch, said, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. And he was talking about drifting away spiritually, and, and, I, w- and I would say that obviously when we're talking about the Lord that there's a drift, I would say that if within your, if your relationship or marriage, that there's a drifting that happens as well. And as you, as you approach God and you even to be, come to a point where you're just at ease with God all the time, well, God's my homie, God's my bro, God's my fill-in-the-blank, whatever you guys want to call him. But God's Jehovah Jireh. God is the God who created all things out of nothing. I mean, that was the real big bang that happened. God spoke and it happened. Science, can't, can't, science has no idea of all that other stuff. They try to come up with ideas of everything that happened after that point, but you don't have an answer for the very beginning. And so when God spoke and there was light, when there had never been light before, and that same God that sits there and, and desires a relationship with us, and we are so callous and we are so cocky within our relationship with Him that we turn Him off because we've drifted. And we've just completely walked away from him and said, God, I don't have time for you today because I've got this to do. And he cries out and he says, look, I've done all things. And I can do all things for you. But all I want is just a relationship. I want you to come to me and I want you to talk to me. And I want to be able to download into you the very essence and the fragrance that you need to be able to walk through life and do the things that that you have a desire to do. There's a pursuit that happens, and after time we take away each we take each other for granted, and, and the roof starts to leak, and we don't want to hear from them anymore. And the hope, well, there's no hope because they'll never be able to do that. And I just I just think I want to give up on everything and just go find something else or go find another god or. Go find Buddha or go find whatever. There's no God anyways. It's just stuff, so just live the way that I can for now. So what is love? There's a lady at the tag office. I 
I go there um, just about every week to the tag office, and there's two ladies that have been doing our tag work for the business and stuff like that. And there's a dealer part of it. You guys walk into the big bag. You guys been out of the new one? It's all redone inside. The next time you go, you'll be like, wow, it's all different. But we're special. We get to go in the back part. And um, so I have a relationship. I sit there for 45 minutes and talk to these ladies. And um, and it's wonderful over the time because I've had an opportunity now to, to be able to share and to be able to, to invest in them. And, and, and they all know exactly where I stand. You know, they don't cuss in front of me. They don't. They'll gossip. I mean, they gossip the life out of people back there. But um, they um, I know everything about everybody that's going on at the tag office if you have a question. But, well, don't ask me because then I'd be gossiping. Don't make me stumble. But anyway, so, but I have to do it for business work. So anyway, so I, I, I go there, and um, there's this one lady there, Renee, and um, I've, I've invited her to the harvest. I've invited her to church. Um, the other lady knows exactly where we're at. She buys pizza over here every once in a while. So Again, I, I'm investing, and I'm not, I don't shy away from who I am, and, and they've, they've not come to the, through the doors yet, and, and I do pray that they will, and I, I think that they will, at least one of them. Well, Renee, she had a back surgery a couple months ago, and um, I told her that, you know, let me know when you get out. I'll be praying for you, and she said, thank you very much. She's always very receptive. Again, nobody will say no to prayer typically, um, unless they're staunch, but uh, most people will, will accept prayer, and um, so she came out, and we texted each other a couple times just to make sure she was doing fine, if she needed anything. I told her if she needed food or something like that, we'd be happy to find some way to get her some dinners and stuff like that. And um, So she got back to work, and <clears throat> I'm goofing around with him, and I show up, and I'm like, hey, Renee's back, and all that stuff, and we're talking. And then her, the other the other lady, Kim, is said, well, no, Kevin's here. You need, you need to talk to him. You know, and I'm like, what, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, I'm back to work, but my... But my mom just had a stroke, and um, and so she's so I'm back, and she's in a you know she's in um, hospice, and she's got blood on the brain, you know, and and you know obviously if she's in hospice, they're not expecting her to come out of it. Uh, she said, but the weird thing is, is that you know she's 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 awake now, and she's not able to talk, but she recognizes, and she's trying to mouth, and she's trying to talk. So there, there she's she's confused. She's like, you know, should, should I have her there, or should I bring her out because? You know, I don't want her there. So what kind of life that she's having? And she's just pouring her heart out. And, and so it gave me an opportunity at that moment to drop everything that, I've, that I'm trying to do at that moment. And I don't bring up the fact that, well, you know, Renee, you know, I've invited you to the harvest. I've invited you to church. And you know what? You didn't show up, so um, I can't minister to you right now because, you know, you, you turned your back on me and, and I need to walk away. Well, no, because see... I love Renee, and and yes, it's a different love than I would have for other women in my life. But I, I love Renee, and, and I care for Renee, and and so I I sit there and I talk to Renee through it, and I give her Bible verses, and I share with her the fact of of enjoying the time that she gets to have with her mom. And and as we're sitting there, and there's people walking by, and she's in tears, and I'm trying to hold back tears because I gotta you know gotta still get through this, and and because I just care for her and love her. So what is love then? You know, if I have sat there and I would have kept at my accounting journal and I would have just scratched things off and said, you know what, I'm done with you. You're out of here. Or you sit there and say, you know what, I am here again for you. What do you need? So as we, go, if you turn over to First Thessalonians, I'm going to try to finish this little bit of chapter out since we have a few minutes. And as we've, in a, as ch- chapter 5 and 
we'll start down in verse 23 when I get there. But as we've gone through 1 Thessalonians and, and, and we've, we've gone through the different verses, some of you guys have been here, some of you haven't. Um, Paul is, is a lot of, condom, he's, he's very happy with this church. He's, he's, he's proud that they have a great, they have a great knowledge and they have uh, the people in the area just absolutely love them and, and they're known in their area. They're not, they're not just this little small church that, that nobody knows about them. They're like, oh, there's Christians over there? I didn't know there's Christians over there. No, everybody knows about this church. And everybody, as, as we've gone through this, you know, Paul has sat there and he's talked about the, the founding of the church and, and the wonderful things that they're doing. He, he's talked about their relationship with the tw- the, between the two of them. He's talked about how he has sent Timothy out and that Timothy even came back with just an encouraging report about everything that they were doing. You know, so for what God, for what thanks we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that you may seek your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. I mean, Paul just absolutely loves his church and is reaching out to them. And then he talked about, you know, there was a little, was a couple little problems in there. We talked about um, the rapture. We talked about there was some sexual immor- questions that they had as well. Uh, very uncomfortable for me to talk about. Uh, and so we, we moved on. And then last time that I spoke, we talked about in verse 19, it says, um, I'm sorry, back up to 16. It says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And we talked about, you know, if, if we we're going to make a New Year's resolution, that this would be the New Year's resolution. This is my New Year's resolution for this year is that I want to rejoice always. I don't want to sit there and look at the things that are going wrong in my life and sit there and cower down to those things. But I want to rejoice in the fact that I know that I've got a God that loves me and that cares for me and that wants to work through me and that I don't know what's going to happen for the next 10 months of the rest of this year. And I'm sure there's going to be high points and I know that there's going to be low points, but I want to rejoice in those things. And I want to pray without ceasing. I want to constantly go before the Lord and I want to give him my heart and I want to give him uh, the, the things that are good things that are going on, the bad things. And then also I want to just be quiet before God. I just want to be quiet and I want to listen so that the Lord then has an opportunity to speak back to me. That he's able to speak back to my heart that it's not just me talking. You ever be around those people that are just like, argh, 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 and you never have a chance. You try to get back in the conversation. You can't because they're just like, ah, la, la, la. Well, sometimes I think the same thing with us is we sit before God and we go to pray to God and we just, and we just dump a whole bunch of stuff on his plate and we're like, all right, God, I'll see you. And he's like, but you, know, you just dumped it. There was no conversation here. They didn't give me a chance to, to speak to your heart. You didn't give me a chance to give you a verse. You didn't give me any kind of interaction, a chance to give you peace with what you're going through in your life. And so many times we just dump it. And, oh, God, I feel better now. I just dumped a bunch of garbage over in God's lap, and, you know, I don't, I don't have to listen to him. You know, I just, I just wanted to get it off my plate and move on with my day. Um, and then in everything, to give thanks. It doesn't mean that, oh, Kevin, you've got cancer. Oh, thanks you so much. I got cancer. No, it's not that. It's to give thanks to the fact that, well, now, okay, I'm human, and I know that I have a timetable now, and, but how, how now will I be able to use that to glorify the Lord? And I know that, I know that this isn't a surprise to God of what's going on, but, but how now do I glorify God and use that to his glory? And, and how do I work in that? Well, if you go back to rejoicing always and to praying without ceasing and everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. This is his will. What, is, what, is, what does God want me to do? Bam, right there. There's three verses for you. Right there. It's easy. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil, every form of evil, the appearance of it. Verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. What does sanctify mean? Anybody? Hmm? Set aside, yes, make holy. Good job. Um, good job, ladies. Um, actually, I think Stephen was trying to say Ladies and Stephen. Um, so may God of peace himself sanctify you, set aside you completely, that, you're, that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we sit there and we walk through this phase, and as, as I'm walking and I'm being set aside, and as I'm walking in a holy and pure manner, the only way that I can do those things is to look at the world around me and to love them. And, and to look at them and go, again, I can either keep accounts of the wrongs that have happened in my life. I can either choose not to be kind. I can choose to be rude. I can be, choose to be a windbag. I can choose to do all these different things in my life. But that's not the way that I'm going to be sanctified. That's not the way that I'm going to be set apart. That's not the way that I'm going to live a life that's blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at that too is, do you guys actually believe that there's a point, and he talked about it just about a chapter back about the rapture, that there's actually a point in our lives, possibly, we believe so, but it could be after that, that Jesus is actually going to come back. And I think that that's the moment where you become an evangelist when you realize that today, tomorrow, we don't know the time that he's going to... Are you an evangelist or not? Because I think that if you truly believed and you had love for people and you had an understanding that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, that that person who does not know Jesus could go to hell. And then they're gone. And there's no second chances. There's no purgatory. There's no, there's no in-between spot. You're either for God or you're against him. You're either in heaven or you're not. And as we need to live a, a blameless life, if we, as we live a sanctified life, and as we, we go out into the world and we love it, then we have opportunities with a Renee, or we have opportunities with different customers that I have. And you guys have people that are within your own little spectrum of your own little sphere that get to see who Jesus Christ is, that may or may not ever grace the, 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 the door of a church, but they will meet you guys. And you guys become the disciples of Jesus Christ. And you guys go out into the world, people that I will never see, Pastor Don will never see, Tori will never see, the people that you're going to see. And it becomes your responsibility to be that light in that dark area. And as you go out into it, you give the love of Jesus Christ and you walk away. Verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful, who will also who, I'm sorry, who also will do it. So as God walks into your life, will, will, God, will God bring you into a situation and then walk away and not give you the tools? No, God is faithful. He is faithful. I'm not faithful. I, I mean, I, I, I want to be, but again, I'm a sinner. And as we walk in and we trust God and you, you pray, Lord, put me in a position where I can, I can minister for you. And then he gives you an opportunity and you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I'm going to Kind of back out of this one, you know, back it up. You know, everybody watch Ant-Man, back it up. Just back it up, you know, backing out of the way. No Ant-Man people. Okay, so kids over here got it. So that was for the kids that are here this morning. So you, you back out of the situation and you walk away for a minute. Oh, I just didn't feel the Lord was leading me to, to say something today, you know. Yes, he was. He put you in a perfect situation. You didn't have to quote, you know, the entire, you know, book of John to them. But you just had to be there and give them a heart. 
Give them a hand. Give them an opportunity. Give them an ear. Have the opportunity to pray for them. And just, just lay your heart there. And say, well, why did you do that for me? Well, because I love you. Because I care for you. And I know that in chapter 13 of, of 1 Corinthians, it gives me a whole list of things of, of what love is. And I, and I want to I portray that to you. Why? Because God, he's, he's done amazing things in my life and he's changed me. And, and, and actually the Bible says too that, that I'm a new man in Christ. The old things are gone. Well, the old Kevin, man, I, I wouldn't have done that for you. I'll be honest with you. But, but God has given me a new heart. He's given me a new challenge. And suddenly as you're a new man or a new woman in Christ, now they can't, they can't sit there and, and, and not agree with you because this is my testimony. And this is what I know what I used to be and I know the man that I am now. And, and the man that I know now is, is, is a lot more loving. Real quick, turn over to first, um, to Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> God is faithful and God will do it. And the church has shown great works and is known in the surrounding area for who they are. Well, and also Paul's talking to the, the Philippian church here. And we'll just start in verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, if it's not underlined in your Bible, then go get a pen, go get whatever you need. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so as we go back to you know, 1 Thessalonians and you say, well, you know, I, I'm not so sure that, that God has given me the ability. No, no, God has given you the ability and he is faithful to who has given you that good work to be able to help you to complete it. And so again, I say, well, what is love? Love just isn't a marriage. Love just isn't the fact that I've got three wonderful kids, um, an old crotchety cat and a puppy of a dog right now. Love isn't just those things, and love isn't just the fact that I've got a mom and a dad and, and a sister and a bunch of nephews and you know brothers. And It's not just, my love just isn't for them. The fact of the matter is, is, is our love should be towards God. And on a Valentine's Day, as we sit here and we celebrate love, and probably if, if you have a romantic other person, it's more of the eros of the love. But the fact of the matter is, is that we should be loving all people because God loved us first. The only reason that we do know love is because God chose us to love first. And that's it. And as you walk through the rest of your day and as you walk through your week that's coming up, I pray that as you, you go to your devotional time and as you go to your prayer time that you look at it and say, Lord, Lord, who is it that you would have me to love today? Who is it that you would put in my path and, and I desire to be used by you, and I desire to have an opportunity just to share your love. I'm not a gospel person, Kevin. I don't know how to give all the different verses. But one, if you start memorizing, you'll have them, but you can all love. You can all be the hands and the feet of who Jesus Christ is. And that's all that he's asking us to do. He will provide everything else that you need, but once he puts you in the position, he just wants you, like Peter on the boat, he just wants you to take that first step onto the water and to walk and to trust Him. And if you're not willing to take that first step and you sit in the boat the entire time, then you're just like the rest of the disciples that sat there in the corner and just whined and cried. But Peter, although he sank in the water, is the only man to walk on water. 
I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty tremendous thing to be able to know that you had the faith to walk out there when Jesus asked you to. So I pray that you guys will walk on the water this week. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for these saints that are here. I pray that as the message has gone out, God, that, um, Lord, again, that you would be glorified just in, um, not nothing to do with my words, Lord, but the fact of our hearts and our desire to serve you in a better way and our desire to, to love those that are around us. Our desire to have eyes that open up and to realize that, that you are God and that there are people that are in our path, there are people that are around us, there are family members that, that don't know who you are. I pray that you would give us the boldness and the desire to, to share with them. Lord, to give us the passion and the heart, Lord. God, again, we just thank you for this awesome day. Pray that you would be with us. Bring us back safely next week as well. We ask this in your name. Amen.